So, Alex, who are you voting for? Shut up. <laughs> I'm sick and tired of people asking me that question. I don't care anymore. I'm literally going to write in Jesus, and I'm just hoping that he comes back on his white horse with a robe dipped in blood and a sword coming out of his mouth and saying, it's time to go home, and I'm just going to waste all these mugs. <laughs> waste mugs? <laughs> Well, you know what? You know who found Jesus again for the second time? Who? Wayne Grudem. Oh, I saw that article. Yeah. He reversed his endorsement of Donald Trump. Yeah. That's what we that's all we talked about at the end of episode five. You guys gotta go back and listen to it. Or don't because it doesn't matter at this point. <laughs> so it looks like Trump is no longer the moral choice for Christians. Oh no, no what are we gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> All right, enough of this election garbage. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah, I can't stand it. So today we have an awesome guest on. Mm -hmm. A really great interview. I feel like this guy is like my new best friend. And I would rather start a podcast with him than you. You're a jerk, Alex. <laughs> you <laughs> called me a hoe in the last episode. I know, but that didn't hurt you. You just hurt me. <laughs> I give you candy cigarettes every episode, and this is how you repay? This is how you repay. Lord forgives. Let's get to the interview. This is not your pastor's podcast. Hey, we're here with Richard Jacobson, author of Unchurching, and also he has a podcast by the same name, the Unchurching Podcast. How you doing, Richard? Doing great. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. Thanks for coming on the show. Where are you recording from, by the way? Oh, I'm in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Oh my gosh. Nashville. I went to Nashville not too long ago with my wife, and it was probably one of the funnest vacations. And the only reason why we ended up there is we were trying to escape from the Michigan winter. And that was as far south as we could get with the money we had. <laughs> was it your first time in Nashville? Yeah. We went to the Johnny Cash Museum and it was just, it was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Nashville. Um, I've been here most of my life. I was actually uh, born up north. Um, but once we came down here, uh, I just haven't been able to move because Nashville kind of, I, I refer to it as a big, small town. Um, mm -hmm. cause that's really the feel like everybody down here is like really, really friendly. Um, and it seems like even though we have lots of people who live here, it feels like everybody knows everybody else. Yeah. Uh, I know when I, when us, uh, when us Michigan folk go down there, it's way too humid for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now in the summer. Yeah. It'll, yeah. it'll kick your butt. <laughs> yeah. We come right back up to the water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, Richard, you, you wrote a book called Unchurching. I love the subtitle. It's uh, Christianity Without the Churchianity. I actually, when I was describing the book that, I, you know, I read, so I haven't read through all of it yet. I've gotten through about three quarters of it. Alex is a sinner. No, I'm just <laughs> stupid and slow. I'm a slow reader. Yeah. I'm a slow reader, too, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but I kept, I kept messing up the subtitle, and I was like, I kept saying it's uh, saving Christianity from churchianity. I kept saying that instead of your your actual subtitle. You know that but could I like work too. <laughs> <laughs> so give us uh, give us a little bit of a rundown of what your story is because when you when you see a book, especially if you've grown up in the church or I actually used to work at a church, and you see a book called Unchurching, kind of freaks freaks people out a little bit. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your story? Yeah, um, I you know I'm a former pastor. 
Um, I only was a pastor for a few years, but I'm a former pastor who turned blogger and then author um, with the blogging. Actually, I, I had an animated video and cartoon blog. Uh, oh, that's that, cool. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's pretty cool. Um, and I'll uh, I'll share the link with you guys later if you want to check out some of the animations. But that's actually how I originally kind of garnered a following and also just started connecting with people who are on the same trajectory when it comes to church. Um, I found out there are a lot of us out there who are frustrated with church as usual. And of course, I'm sure we're going to get into that in the interview. Um, but that's actually why I left the church was working through all these uh, questions and conflicts about the organized church model. Now, prior to that, you know, cause I wasn't a pastor very long prior to that, I was that super hyper involved, dedicated church member, you know, for years, um, I went to a church where I was um, involved in everything that I could get into. I sang on the worship team and I taught Sunday school. Um, I helped out with the uh, the youth and the young adults and actually um, never took any real vacation time from work because I used all my vacation days um, doing church events like helping out with VBS or short-term mission trips you know, I was the poster <laughs> child for. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm trying so hard not to laugh or interrupt, but that you are describing Alex and I. We are literally, oh, yeah. <laughs> we are literally walking in your shoes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and I mean, I'm gonna assume that you guys were coming from the same place I was. You know, and that was I would like to think a very pure-hearted, devoted place. You know, I, I don't think. Um, I was, I was involved because I was looking for, you know, kudos or congratulations. I think it was just, I had bought into this idea that serving the organized church was serving the Lord. And I'm, and I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that it's not, I'm just saying at the time, that's really the only way I knew how to fully devote my time and energy to the Lord was, you know, getting involved in all these various church programs. Now, what's funny, and I know I'm telling my story in reverse here is as a kid, I think the seeds for my destruction, as far as being an organized church pastor, I think they were planted pretty early. Um, and I'm older than you guys, as we discussed before the interview. But I was a kid in the Jesus movement. And for anyone who doesn't know what the Jesus movement is, um, you could say it was either the hippie offshoot of 70s Christian culture or the Christian offshoot of 70s hippie culture. But Basically, what it was were a bunch of young Jesus freaks um, just uh, <laughs> fell in love with Jesus, and they didn't really fit in the church box. So you had all these young people who were just excited about Jesus and trying to live out what they read in the New Testament. So that meant they were getting together in coffee shops and restaurants and getting together in each other's homes or bookstores or wherever. Uh, they would usually show up with Bibles and guitars and tambourines and sing and worship all night and tell stories about Jesus and read the Bible to each other and pray with each other. And, you know, lots of tremendous stuff happened. People got healed. People got set free from drug addictions. I mean, it was it was really vibrant. But that was my first experience of church community was just people living church as a lifestyle. Like church wasn't a separate thing. It wasn't an event. It wasn't a building. It was just a community. And I don't think I realized how much that impacted me until years down the road when I became a a pastor in an organized church and started really trying to figure out the disconnect between the churches I read about in the New Testament and the church that we attend on Sunday mornings. Yeah. Can I ask a question real quick? Yeah. 
Did you have a Jesus is the reason for the season sticker? <laughs> With the rainbow on it? <laughs> you know, those those didn't come about until later, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was asking my dad about the Jesus movement, and he was... Uh, he was mentioning he's a little bit older than you, but he was going through college right about that time, and and he had one of those stickers on his guitar case, and I and I for years have carried around on my amplifier, and now it's on my pedal board at church, and I just love that sticker. Oh wow! That's <laughs> and he was awesome. telling me that's that's where it came from. It came from the Jesus movement. <laughs> it's like a Birkenstock Bible study. That's when I when I think the Jesus movement. <laughs> that's what I think of. Wow! Uh, can I steal that phrase? <laughs> oh, absolutely. That's no no worries, man. We're all in this together. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you don't seem hurt by church, though. Like you, okay. So you, you, you went, grew up in the Jesus movement, and then you became an organized, uh, you know, religion church pastor. But you don't seem hurt by the church. I mean, you seem like a pretty happy. Just maybe it's because you live in the South. You don't live in the just awful winters of Michigan. But yeah. <laughs> um. You know, it's kind of funny because I, I will share some of my views about church online, you know, because obviously I've got, you know, Facebook and Twitter. I've got a blog and, you know, so I'm I'm communicating these ideas uh, across several different types of media. And a common response that I'll get from somebody who just kind of stumbles across, you know, a, a video or a blog post is, wow, it's pretty obvious you were really hurt by the church. And... <clears throat> like I, I don't want to be critical of that um, because when a person says that, that, that they actually might be speaking to uh, some experience that they've had with people who are critics of the church. Maybe they have encountered um, a lot of critiques from people who are negative and hurt by the church. But that assumption um, is always really interesting to me because it seems like uh, what they're saying is they can dismiss every critique that I'm leveling against the organized church model because it's coming from a place of offense. And what's so funny is that's actually not how this started for me. I was, I was very happy in the organized church and <clears throat> I didn't start developing these ideas because I got hurt. It was only later as I started vocalizing these ideas that I got hurt, <laughs> if that, oh, make, if that I, makes I sense. You. For sure. <laughs> you know, like like I was getting along with everybody just fine until I started questioning and becoming vocal about the, the church as usual, you know. And it was only then that it really caused a variance in some of my friendships. And, uh, you know, thankfully a lot of them I've been able to repair over the years. But, yeah, this wasn't born out of offense. It was actually born out of uh, reading, studying the Bible, and I don't know if I've told either of you guys this, but it, it actually started as me praying a very pure hearted prayer, but it, it might be one of the dumbest things I ever did. Oh, I know. yeah. You, you see where this is going. Yeah, I do. Like I know God exactly give me patience yeah. and you like yeah. send you a bunch of kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I actually decided once I became a pastor, you know, for the first time I'm responsible what other people think, not just about my own thoughts about church. So I started making it a matter of prayer, like almost every day. Whenever I sat down to read my Bible, I would pray that God would help me divorce myself from any man-made ideas about church, and he would show me his true vision of, of what he had in mind when he birthed the church. And along the way, as I kept praying that prayer, I started to read the scriptures about church very differently, 
And at first, I thought it was all in my head. So I actually started going to the other pastors and elders and saying, hey, help, you know, fix me because I'm reading this wrong. Yeah. And, you know, and I would give them a scripture and they would give me an answer. And then I'd go back and study and I'd realize, hey, this doesn't fit. And it, and it was just this back and forth for a long time until I finally concluded these two things are not alike. And, you know, eventually I, I resigned and started on the trajectory that led to the blogging, the book, et cetera. Were they were uh, the pastors you were sharing this with? Were they like, "Oh, Richard, he's going down just such a bad path," <laughs> like, or anything like that? Or were they supportive? Were they were they recognizing these things on their own as they look through the scriptures with you? Or, um, you know, honestly, it was it was kind of a mix of reactions, but but overall, I would say, um, largely they were supportive of me. Uh, but not necessarily supportive of all of my ideas. And that probably varies somewhat from person to person. Like, like you would actually have to ask each one of them individually, kind of, kind of where they fell on that spectrum. But I, you know, I do want to say that they were very loving toward me and very patient and invested the time to try to help me work through this. So it was my decision to eventually resign and eventually leave the organized church. And I, and I know that a lot of my friends were, were hurt over that. You know, I think it was discouraging to them because from where they were sitting, it looked like I was, you know, when you walk away from the organized church, in a lot of people's minds, you're walking away from the Lord. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was just going to ask if you had anybody, like, call you out as being a heretic because you weren't there on Sunday. Yeah, and, and not just because I'm not there on Sunday, but, you know, I'm vocal about um, critiquing the organized church model. And, and that becomes a very complex conversation because, you know, if I were, if I were critical of, say, like the education system, people would say, man, this guy is an advocate of teachers and students because he's, you know, he's really coming against the system and he's pointing out the flaws and he's trying to make it better for teachers and students because they separate, you know, the institution from the people in it. With church, it's a different animal. I can really try to articulate it as well as I can and tell people, look, I'm not talking about you. I'm just talking about this model. But because they don't separate it, they don't hear it the way that I say it. So from a lot of people's perspectives, it looks like I'm attacking the church when what I'm actually trying to do is is serve the church and encourage the church and, and help people that are struggling with the organized church model and let them know, hey, you can still have genuine church community without buildings and senior pastors and programs, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, for sure. So why do you think the institutionalized church doesn't work for some people? Um, you know, I think it's the same reason that many um, wild animals have shortened lifespans uh, in captivity. <laughs> um, Ooh, that's a good analogy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is not our natural habitat. Um, when you're in the organized church, I'm not saying that you're not having genuine fellowship and you're not receiving, you know, good teaching and, and so on. You know, basically what you have is you have genuine church within this man-made structure. So, you know, there's varying degrees of, of experience, um, that are happening in this thing. But at the end of the day, if we're talking about the structure itself, um, it is not conducive to genuine spiritual growth. I would even argue that it dulls your spiritual growth um, because you you get the you have the perception that you're growing because you're getting fed. 
you know, that's what we, I don't know what tradition you guys come from, but that's the way it was always referred to in the, in the churches I went to when you're listening to a sermon, you know, you're getting spiritually fed. (laughs) And so you think you're growing because you're getting fed. Um, but all you're really doing is growing spiritually fat. (laughs) You know, you're not growing spiritually strong. You're not growing spiritually mature listening to lectures. And, you know, you're certainly not growing in your spiritual gifts when you don't get to exercise your calling as a fellow priest you know, when, when you abdicate all of that to one guy, when you make him the proxy for the whole priesthood of all believers, he's the only guy who really gets to exercise the calling that everybody shares. Yeah, I, I, I was talking with a family member. He's been going to the same church his, his entire life. I mean, he, he always says he came into church on a boob. I mean, I mean since an infant, <laughs> <laughs> he's, been going, he's been going to church. And I was sharing with them... Uh, a story, uh, another guy's story from a Salvation Army, how he got saved. And it's just this powerful kind of miraculous story. And he's like, man, I haven't heard, I've never heard a story like that. And he almost, it's like he couldn't even believe me. And I was just like, he's he's been stuck in this environment so long. He's just being so cheated of experiencing God. He's got all the head knowledge, but he's never actually experienced God work through anything or even heard anybody else any other person's story it's just it's just the same repetition sunday after sunday and to me it's really sad yeah and it's it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out over time because right now you have millions who are leaving the organized church absolutely and there's a variety of reasons um you know, many, many of the people who are leaving the organized church really are leaving the faith. You know, they've concluded, ah, this is not real and I'm done with it. And so they leave. That makes sense. Um, but there's kind of this turning tide where, you know, I can't remember the last time in, in recent church history, at least, where you had millions of people leaving, not because they're abandoning their faith, but because they feel like they have to leave in order to preserve it. That's kind of a new thing, at least in my experience. Um, yeah, that's scary to think about. Yeah, and so at some point, this this organized church thing has become completely out of step with our culture, and you know, I would say it's out of it's out of step with the descriptions of church that we see in the New Testament. Um, you know, and I, and I think more and more people are concluding that, and they want genuine spiritual community, but they don't want it within the trappings of a corporation. And legally speaking. Today's churches are corporations, and uh, I think we're becoming more and more disillusioned with corporations, frankly. Yeah. I remember that that section of the book, what you're talking about, when you said, like, pastors are, if we translate the word down to what it's supposed to mean, it's shepherd. And I thought it was so awesome that you said, like, now it's like a pastor has to have these, like, organizational skills, and, like, they're, like, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Like, they're, like, these directors of different things instead of actually doing what the job uh, the doing the job that their title is is pastoring people when I worked at a church um, I thought I was really good and I know this sounds this sounds like I'm conceited but I got told this by people like Alex I love the way I feel like you care about me and I've I've heard that multiple times from people and what I lacked in doing at my job was I wasn't very good at like administering um administering duties to different people and like organizing and making sure everything ran smoothly. Like my gift was caring for people and I really had a love for teaching the word. So it was like, almost like, I feel like that 
that is important for being a pastor, but maybe the being the advisor or this like kind of like almost corporate figure when you're a quote unquote pastor is what's expected now of these new guys coming out of seminary. Like, well, you know, and, and man, I hope this doesn't seem like I'm, I'm slamming pastors personally. Cause I'm, I'm really not, that's not what's in my heart. When I say this, I'm talking about the position. I'm talking about the logistics. I'm not talking about, you know, their, their God given desire to pastor their people, which I'm sure a lot of them have, but I think it's a misnomer to refer to somebody um, as a pastor when we have no personal relationship with them. Going and listening to a lecture, um, that's teaching, but it's not pastoring. You know, everything I read in Scripture, you know, that I would say this is a a description of real pastoring, it looks like spiritual uh, parenting. You know, I'd say the it's it's interesting that, you know, pastor is uh, the original word that we're interpreting as pastor is actually shepherd. And, you know, shepherds lived with the sheep, you know, there's an old phrase, you know, shepherds smell like sheep. Um, You know, you you think about the shepherds that you see in the story, the nativity story, you know, they were laying in the fields at night when the angels appeared. Well, of course they were laying in the fields because they were shepherds. They lived with the sheep. And so to call somebody or, or, you know, think about when, when um, uh, I think it's Paul says, you know, consider your leader's way of life. You know, he's talking about, about imitating um, you know, our mentors in the faith. Well, how can you imitate somebody's way of life when all you hear are curated stories from behind a pulpit of their life? You know, that's, that's about as real as Facebook. And, mm-hmm. you, you know, I think we all know that we're looking at a curated uh, reality when we see people's lives on Facebook. That's why everybody's life on Facebook looks better than ours. Yeah. 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 It's kind of, it's kind of tragic um, that the model kind of has within itself um um i I don't really know the way to phrase it but but when a church starts out and it's small um it has a real feeling of community and intimacy because it's small yeah but within the dna of that church is this other thing because as it scales um that sense of community and and the intimacy doesn't scale um I mean, you can divide up into small groups and, you know, you can organize and systematize and try to artificially replicate it. Um, but it's so funny. The reason that a lot, the reason people are drawn to small churches, the, the people who are, is because of the intimacy. And then over time, it actually turns into something different, um, which is the opposite of why they came to a small church to begin with. And then once you get past a certain size, I can't remember what the number is, but once you pass a certain threshold, you actually start to attract a different type of church member. When you start to become a really, really large church, a great number of the people that you attract are there because they can be uh, anonymous and uninvolved. They yeah. can, make, they can blend sense. into the background. They won't be asked to do anything other than put money in a collection plate. And that is exactly what they're looking for. I don't even know and it's not my place to judge but i don't even know how many are really disciples you know because they you know just want to go in and kind of punch something off of a to-do list and say i went to church and then go live their life yeah i'm a cad designer by trade and we we call it the 80 20 rule where you have 20 (laughs) percent of the people doing work for the other 80 and to me it feels like church is a lot like that and 
for uh, for guys like Alex and I who have trouble saying no to things, <laughs> we we sign up for everything and participate in everything. <laughs> we, we we find that man, you know, a couple months down the road, and I'm exhausted, and there's only a small percentage of the people doing the work. And I just listened to a sermon of uh, a pastor of a different church. And he even went as far as to say ninety ten, and he was really getting onto his congregation to to participate and then a part of me was thinking give them less things to participate in (laughs) almost like if man if they were smaller they're they're so buried in and trying to to do and reach and not that that's a bad thing yeah you just Mm -hmm. get a bunch of spiritual burnouts like you and i jason where we're like we're tired yes can somebody else do this for (laughs) a while yeah and and honestly uh, you know and i i talk about this in the book but i don't know that you know, putting up a storefront and hanging out a shingle, which is kind of the way I look at putting up a church building and, you know, putting up a sign. Um, I don't know that it doesn't blur the line between the congregation and the crowd. You know, Jesus had a public ministry. Jesus had a private ministry. And he delineated between the two, you know, the public ministry. It's not that he didn't minister to people. He did. You know, he performed miracles and, you know, miraculously fed uh, the multitudes and healed them and preached to them and, you know, he, he loved on them legitimately, but he also made it clear, you know, when he talked to his disciples, hey, the secrets of the kingdom are revealed to you, but not to them. Like he made this distinction um, between his his discipleship of the 12 and his ministry to the multitudes. But when you, you know, put up a building and you, you know, just kind of say welcome um, in, and turn it into a storefront, then people come in and start listening to sermons and very often confuse uh, membership for discipleship. You know, I'm a disciple because I go to church, not I'm a disciple because I'm really following Jesus. You know, if you look at the life of the disciples, following Jesus was was actually very hard. You know, he was continually asking them to sacrifice things. You know, there's not much sacrifice just going and listening to a sermon and putting some money in a collection plate. And, And I know, please, please don't take that the wrong way. I know the goal is to get unbelievers or new believers into the door, um, you know, preach uh, good sermons, kind of open their eyes and, and usher them into a real relationship with the Lord. Um, I'm just saying I don't know that that model is the best way to do it. Yeah, so Alex and I, uh, <laughs> we both feel like God has called us to some form of ministry. I don't know, I don't know if we're going to be pastors down the road, I know at times we're like, yeah, we're going to be pastors. And at other times we're like, no way am I being a pastor. <laughs> and we're just trying to figure out where where we fit and what God has for us. And one of the things that Alex and I are both kind of attracted to, but we don't know much about it, that's that's the house church. And going through your book, I wanted to ask you, if you could give us some uh, counsel on that, like what does a healthy house church community look like? Um, I think a a healthy house church community looks like an extended spiritual family and anyone who has had the privilege of being part of a healthy family, I think, uh, would agree with me that we're not saying perfect family, like healthy and perfect are not synonymous. Um, if anything, if you're in a healthy family, um, then you hopefully are in a safe place 
to work on your imperfections. You know, everybody can be transparent about the fact that they're not perfect. Um, but, it's going. It's going down to to visit your family at Thanksgiving and realizing that half of them voted for Trump and still loving him, <laughs> <laughs> or half of them worked for Hillary. Oh, let's, be for Hillary. let's be equal. Let's be equal here. We'd be equal. And then a small weird third voted for Gary Johnson. Yeah, yeah. And I'm and I'm not chiming in on any of those because <laughs> I I made the mistake of of making one post on Facebook and oh, oh my gosh it, yeah it consumed the, my whole week. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to derail your thought. I just couldn't. No, I no, no. To, I, I had actually, to throw that in there. No, you didn't derail my thought at all. Um, I think one aspect of it is a family. But the other thing, and this is where it gets into something more transcendent than what you see in the world. The, the other aspect is the church is a body. And we don't really see that in the organized church. You know, in the organized church, we've replaced Jesus as the head of his body and installed a man in his place. So we don't really see Jesus actively interacting with every single member and really orchestrating what the body does. You know, we're, we're more like a group of people that get together to talk about Jesus. And, you know, we'll even entertain an encounter with him within certain parameters but we don't really come in without agenda just totally available saying lord what do you want you know we we never show up to church not knowing what the day's going to look like even in churches that are kind of more free-spirited where it's like wow you know god really showed up today and just totally messed up the agenda and threw off the service and it was amazing it's like okay well if that was your experience today, why don't why doesn't somebody ask, "Wow, what would happen if next week we show we showed up with no agenda?" Like uh, I've always been amazed that churches by those churches that can have this amazing encounter where where God really shows up in a special way and everybody's like, "Wow, that was so much better than church as usual. That was so much better than the scripted service." Then why do they show up next week with a script? Yeah, <laughs> I could just picture uh, getting that planning center email and it being blank. <laughs> That's never going to happen. And all it says on the on the email is whatever Jesus wants to do today. That's what he's going to do. Yeah, <laughs> it was frustrating for me because we, we go to a large church and, and they, uh, there's a county fair um, that opened up their doors for our church to come in and uh, and to have a church gathering Sunday morning at their county fair. And man, they were at the end of the a pastor. He just he just delivers a simple gospel message, and people started coming forward to get baptized. There was tons of them, and it's what was so disappointing to me was you got this huge, large crowd of people. It's on a hot Sunday afternoon. I mean, well, it's right around noontime, and people are coming forward to get baptized, and a large majority of of the church is leaving to go to their cars. Cause it's too hot out, hmm. and I'm thinking, we we just got to the good stuff. People are responding to the gospel and getting baptized, and you're walking away from that because you're too hot, or it's inconvenient, or you're uncomfortable for too long. I and, think that's just an American thing. <laughs> it might be. Well, yeah. and frankly, everybody heard the sermon, I'm sure, or heard the message. Well, uh, I got fed. Let's go home. Yeah. Well, and and in all fairness, I mean, that's what everybody's been conditioned to do. I, you know, like you put a guy on a platform and you point all the chairs at him 
and you allot, you know, 45 minutes or so for him to be the only one in the room who's talking. And whether you say it explicitly or if it's just implicit, it becomes very clear to everyone that the reason you're here is to listen to a sermon. You know, regardless of what you say it's about, the whole structure of the room testifies to the fact that we are here to listen to this man talk. It's like you got to break people's arms to just hang out in the lobby afterwards. Like I remember saying, I remember saying that from the from the pulpit so many times. Like, hey, as soon as the service is over, don't leave. Like, stick around and hang out. And I think we even tried to get pizza one time in the lobby, so at least people would gather around the pizza and talk. <laughs> gather around the pizza. And I, I, I honestly think that's an American thing. We had a we had a buddy on not too long ago, and he was talking about his church experience when he went to Africa and just gathering together with 200 people in this mud hut that could only fit about 40 people and just worshiping God and just how amazing it was. And even people were standing, people were sitting in the hot sun, which is a lot hotter in Africa than it is over here in Michigan. And I'm like, I gotta, I gotta say that part of our problem is we're Americans. (laughs) And I know that sounds awful, but I think that's part of our, our problem here. No, that is part of the problem. Um, you know, I think any anybody when they get to a place where they're comfortable, fat, um, for, you know, well furnished, you know, like most of their most if not all of their needs are met, um, then it becomes a lot easier to ignore God um, and to not just be desperate. Um, you know, uh, around the world, there are a lot more believers that are a lot more desperate, uh, whether it's for economic reasons or whether it's just political oppression, you know, that that really getting together in church community and worshiping the Lord um, is difficult or, or they pay a hefty price for it. Um, yeah, they appreciate it more. So I guess uh, from a pastor's standpoint, what are the right motivations for starting a house church? Um, <clears throat> because you're not going to get any money out of it. Some, I feel like some people like, I'm going to work a church job and I'm going to get paid to do like, just kind of like this fun ministry stuff. Like I actually, as a young man, I think I was like maybe 20 or so. I was like, man, that'd be sweet to have a church job. And I just kind of sit in an office and study the Bible all day. Um, but yeah, and I've done it and it was, <laughs> <laughs> it was really, really hard to give up. I mean, if you yeah. want to. If you want me to be really transparent about it, um, you know, I, I had a lot of uh, trust, um, a lot, a lot of uh, support. So I was given a lot of latitude to kind of do what I wanted with my time, and I would like to think I was a good steward of that time. And I spent a lot of it studying the Bible and praying, and you know, I think those are appropriate things for a pastor to do. But man, that was pretty incredible, you know, to think, hey, I'm I'm getting paid to you know, be intimate with, with God. Um, when you talk about house church, you know, I, I honestly, uh, it's a red flag to me when, whenever I even hear the term start a house church, um, because that seems to call back to our organized, uh, church upbringing, our institutional mindset. You know, you start a car, um, you know, you, you start a program, a church, you know, a genuine church community. I think it has to be planted. I think it has to be birthed. And I think only the Lord can do that. I I think 
somewhere along the way, um, in our, in our arrogance, um, we kind of took that over and now we feel it's our prerogative to quote unquote, start churches just, you know, like, Oh, we're going to go over, you know, here's this neighborhood that hasn't had a church. We're just going to go start a church there as if it's just something we can be really cavalier about. And, you know, the, the word tells us clearly, you know, unless the Lord, uh, builds the house, you know, it's, it's labor's labor in vain. Um, and so the Lord is building his house. The Lord is building his church. And I would say the starting point would be, first of all, to just kind of grab hold of this thread and follow it uh, personally, you know, spend some time. Um, it, it doesn't have to be my book or my podcast, but spend some time exploring these ideas on your own and just see, you know, does this resonate with you? And then if so, you know, you might want to get some friends together and you might want to have a study group and you might want to start kind of working through these ideas because I think it would be dangerous actually to say, oh, I'm, I'm going to start a house church with all these ideas that are in my head and a bunch of other people who have different concepts of what a church is. I mean, I guess you could work that out, you know, in the doing of it, but I think it's going to be pretty painful for a lot of people. I think it would make a lot more sense to start with something a lot less formal, uh, which is just a book study and say, hey, I want to get some friends together. I want to read these books and, and, and explore these ideas and just see um, if it resonates with all of us. And that will keep you busy for a little while because I'm not the only one who's written a book on this kind of stuff. So that'll, you know, that'll be a journey that you're on for quite a while. And I think what will happen over time, at least this is the pattern that I've seen from groups that do this, is some people will drop out. I think some people will get a few weeks into it and go, yeah, this is kind of cool, but this is not for me. And they'll go back to organized church as usual. Meanwhile, there'll be people that you didn't even think to invite that will get wind of it and will say, hey, I want to check out what you're doing. So I also think starting with a book study allows God um, a nice window of time to kind of sift the group until you end up with a, a group of people who are on the same page. At that point, I think now it's time to start talking about what would it look like for us to become a church community. But I don't think just... I don't think it's a turnkey thing where you say, let's just start a church and invite people and, and then you're off to the races. Yeah. I think I, I appreciate so much what you said there because I've, I've, I've visited house churches before and there's this one particular one over in, in Lansing. Uh, it was as part of our, uh, a record label, my band was signed to and, and we asked him where, where are we go Where can we go to church, you know, tomorrow? And he's like, well, we have a house church here. And I was like, sweet. So what time we get started? Oh, we get started around 10 o'clock. Uh, you know, we'll set up the living room. A bunch of people will come over. We'll set up the chairs. And it's just, it's an awesome. You're really going to love it. It's a great time. And so, you know, 930 rolls around. Us, and I'm asking, are we going to rearrange the furniture or anything? Nah. And 10 o'clock comes. I don't, nobody's here. He's like, we're going to go meet at a restaurant instead. I was like, sweet. And so we go to a restaurant and it's just him and his wife. And all they did the whole entire time was just complain about how much they hated the big church <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that he got fired from. And <laughs> and to me, I was like, this is, I, I don't see how uh, God ordained this. Like it didn't, it certainly didn't feel like church. And I think that's one of the greatest fears uh, it is for me because it's my own personal experience. When when I think a house church, it's like, man, it sounds 
really awesome. I mean, we did it just here on this show. I mean, we, we listed a bunch of different things, negatives about the mega church, but it doesn't mean that the house church doesn't have its own set of problems or difficulties to work through. Oh, absolutely. I, um, you know, I was actually just having this conversation earlier today um, with a friend of mine, and we were talking about um, no matter what the arrangement is, there's going to be there's going to be problems. Like if you want to have a truly egalitarian community where there's you know no uh, there's there's no person that's above anybody else. You know, there's not a senior pastor who makes all the decisions. Then things are going to move a lot slower. You know, because you have to wait for everybody to get on the same page. If you want to move rapidly, just say, hey, this guy's going to make all the decisions for us and things will move along at a good pace. But, you know, people will sometimes opt out because they don't agree with that person's decisions. It's, you know, no matter how you go about it, um, there's always going to be complications. And I think um, at the end of the day, uh, we're asking the wrong questions if it's just about, well, what do I prefer? You know, Absolutely. do I, do I prefer being in a church with a pastor or do I prefer this model or that, you know, those, those are the wrong questions. You know, I think it's, it's really about, you know, what is the Lord trying to do? Uh, what, what does he want his church to look like? You know, he's the one building this thing. And, and again, I was very, very happy in the organized church until God came along and made me unhappy, uh, I mean, <laughs> I don't know any any other way to put it, but he started showing me these things in Scripture that, that seemed like a contradiction to what we were doing, and that was really where all my frustration came from, going, well, where's this? why do we have this disconnect? If this is what the Word says, why are we doing it differently? Um, and so that's how I started on this trajectory. And, you know, and I'm, I, I don't know if I should go here or not, but... <clears throat> I'm just, I'll go here, and if this doesn't fit, you guys can edit it out. But <laughs> okay, one of the things that um, has been interesting about being on this journey and being vocal, you know, making animated videos and cartoons and blog posts, and now this book, is they tend to, because I'm critiquing the organized church, I tend to attract a lot of people who are disgruntled with the organized church for a variety of reasons. Some of them because it's very much a a holy discontentment it's a god thing sometimes it's just pure offense you know it's just um you know they got crossways with somebody over something and now they're just looking for somebody who's criticizing the organized church so that they can get behind them and go yeah see it's not me it's you um and i think one thing that i would say to anybody who's listening to this and trying to sort through this I would encourage you to surround yourself with people who aren't defining themselves by what they left, who aren't defining themselves by what they're not. You need to really connect with people who are have a vision of where they're going and what they're trying to apprehend. Because if it's just a group of people that get together and bash the organized church and talk about, thank God I'm not in that anymore, that is toxic. That is not going to lead to anything fruitful that's not giving God anything that he can use. I'm not saying you might not go through that for a season, but you can't wallow in that. I mean, that is a cesspool. You know, it can't be, let's just get together and bash on how wrong that thing is. 
um, you'll become the thing that you're criticizing very, very quickly. That's some good wisdom. That's very good wisdom. That's that's why I love your book. I love your podcast. I love you, Richard. I love <laughs> you guys too. I'm glad we've, I'm glad we've connected. Seriously. But I want people to read it because when I read your book, it's like, you know, you make assumptions by the ti- by the title and you think there's here's another guy who just hates the church, probably has something against it. And as you're reading the book, as I was reading the book, it's like this guy, he he really fought over this. He, I mean, it, it's it, he's not disgruntled. He's he's got some great wisdom here that I want people to hear. Well, so I, I appreciate it so much. <laughs> well, thank you for that. And and uh, I tell you what, I'll I'll put this out there because I do know the title has been uh, problematic for some people, but it was actually intentional. The way the way the book is titled and some of the messaging around it, and, and I'm not trying to do, do a bait and switch, so please don't hear it that way. But I was trying to position it in such a way that people who are frustrated with the organized church might actually stop and pick it up. Um, You know, people who are very happy in the organized church are never going to touch a book titled Unchurching. And people who already know about house church, church, organic church, simple church, etc. You know, there's plenty of books out there about that. Um, And my book is actually a little bit different than than those as well. Um, but there's plenty for them to read and they're going to be just fine. You know, if they do a search on, on Amazon, they're going to find a ton of books to read. Um, I didn't find anything that was really targeted at people who were kind of struggling and didn't have the, uh, the language to articulate where their frustrations were coming from. Didn't have a clear vision of why is this thing, um, wrong. Uh, and and what would it look like if we were doing it right? And I hate to use terms like wrong and right, but you know that's kind of where we start. And I wanted to target a very specific group of people. Now, what's funny is I think that's a large group of people. It's a very large group of people. And what I appreciate about appreciate about you is you're a positive voice within that because it's it's easy. It's really we say it on our show all the time. It, it is so easy to be negative. I've been stuck in the Seth pool. I'm just going to confess that. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think, I think, um, you, you know, and I'm not just trying to extend grace to you here, but I think most of us don't really make a major change until we reach a critical mass point, until we reach a point of real frustration with something. If we're at all comfortable, uh, we'll tolerate it. And so, you know, I want to be careful that I that that people who are kind of in that that part of the process don't think that I'm slamming them as well, um, because it's very natural to go through a place where you're very disgruntled uh, with church and maybe very vocal about it. Um, my concern is if you decide that you're going to stay in that orbit and that's going to become your new identity. That's that's terrifying to me. Um, but yeah, going through a season of discontentment. I I think it can be a positive thing. I think God uses that to get us off our butt. Absolutely. Yeah, my wife has told me, she's like, if you say you're jaded about the church one more time, I'm going to punch you. I'm like, okay, I guess I got to work through some stuff now. And and now you understand that scripture. It's not good for man to be alone. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. No doubt about that. God bless the wives.
Oh my gosh, Jason. I feel like my eyes have been opened for the first time. I feel like the scales have been lifted off of my lenses and I can finally see for the first time what church should be all about. Thank you, Richard Jacobson. Come on, Alex. You're such a loser. Like, What do you mean? I, I honestly really benefited from that. Yeah, uh, it was really good. I just don't want you to demean it at all. I'm not demeaning it at all. Richard is Richard. <laughs> I know every time I say his name, I think about Tommy boy. I know it. <laughs> but anyway, guys, we're, we are breaking this episode into a two-parter. So next week uh, on Friday, there's going to be our part two uh, interview episode with uh, Richard Jacobson. And he's got a bunch of stuff uh, to say about communal living and what the megachurch should do. Or he makes suggestions on what the megachurch should do as yeah, far as so moving forward. so don't be forward. flaking out on us because we broke this into a two-parter. Well, I don't know why you're talking about flaking out because you're literally leaving to go up north. I know it. I'm going to go catch some roller derby at Mitten Kitten this weekend. That's a tournament for roller derby, Alex. Oh, I... I'm going to go. I'm going to cram in about five or six bouts this weekend. Ooh. And then after that, I'm going to go to see King's Collider. And I am so jealous, but I feel like I can't be jealous because I think I shouldn't be jealous about a Christian, you seeing a Christian band that I don't get to see, because I think that's that's like double sinful. Yeah. I mean, you're one of the greatest sinners I know. <laughs> I appreciate that comment. Thank you very much, Jason. <laughs> anyway, guys, I do got to say this. If you are into podcasting, please check us out. We're at Not Your Pastors Podcast on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on Google Play. Please leave us a review. Uh, we want to hear back from you guys. What What do you think we can do to make the show better? Yeah, you guys need to let us know what you think. Should we keep doing interviews like this, or you just want to hear Alex and I talk about stupid stuff? I mean, we because we can do that. We could fill out days worth of podcasting talking about nonsense. <laughs> also, we also wanted to tell you guys that please go check out our website, which is www.notyourpastorspodcast.com. And... If you're if you're kind of like a little you know, techn technologically challenged, I guess. Uh, if you just go to that website, all the links for our blogs, for our videos, and even for our podcasts are all on that same web page. So you can just yeah. go there and get everything, all the content you need, right then and there. Our website's for old people. I mean, <laughs> it just is. That's offensive. <laughs> anyway, guys, we love you so much. Thank you for listening and. Uh, Get excited about part two because part two of this interview is really good as well. And remember, always keep your stick on the ice. Hockey season starts up, Alex. I got to say it. Okay, Jason, whatever you got to tell yourself. Yeah.